Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem and thought that the and, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And he said to him, You also will be over five cities. Then another came and said, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over him, over them, and slay them before me. Luke again tells us the occasion for this parable. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, as we have said. He knows that those who are following him, by now he's got quite a crowd around him, and they're expecting something magnificent to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. It's whatever their concept of the kingdom of God might be. Maybe they're expecting a huge revival from the temple. Perhaps they're expecting him to gather armies together like David of old and drive out the Romans. This is the same crowd that will be laying palm branches before him and crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. But no one expected what was actually going to happen. The enemy of the kingdom of God is the devil, the accuser. He is the ruler of this world because of the sin that entered into the world with Adam and Eve's fall. When Adam and Eve fell, they made everything ugly and hateful. They united themselves to the word of the liar and the murderer. And so guilt and shame and death are now in the world. And Satan rules by fear and shame and death. Even today, we hide behind fig leaves. We cower in the bushes or hide in the trees. We do that in so many different ways. We often pretend we're someone we're not. We put on airs. We learn the right phrases. We act like the acceptable ones because we're afraid of their rejection. Oscar Wilde observed this years ago. He said, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives a mimicry, their passions a quotation. But as we will see this morning, a redeemed man is someone who is set free from that bondage. The heart of that bondage is that we were created for fellowship. 
And now we are alienated from God because of sin and death. There isn't anything we can do about it. The sword that guards the entrance to the tree of life must fall. Where there was once fellowship and joy and peace, now there's alienation and guilt and shame and death. And this is the enemy that Jesus came to destroy. This enemy would be destroyed on the cross, not by swords and armies and horses and chariots. Because a sword of wrath must fall for guilt and shame to be taken away. And Jesus came to take that sword upon himself in order to reconcile the world to God. Zechariah saw this when his son John was born. He praised God and said of the kingdom that we might serve God without fear all the days of our life. That God would save us from our enemies so that we can serve him without fear. How astounding would it be for us to finally be free to serve God without fear? Without the fear of the opinions of others, without fear of failure, without fear of condemnation, without the fear of doing or saying something wrong, without the fear of rejection, without the fear of shame and guilt, if we lived believing what we confess that we are redeemed in Christ, beloved of God, acceptable to God, and pleasing to the Lord, and serving Him without fear. To be honest, this parable has bothered me for years. I've puzzled over it from the time I was a child. I know that God has given me many gifts and many talents, but what does it mean to use them appropriately, to invest them? What does it mean to fail? Will I be cast out of the kingdom if I don't practice the piano enough? Will I be cast out of the kingdom if I don't spend enough time writing, if I don't accomplish enough, if I don't preach a good enough sermon? If I, I have plagued myself with this fear for years, to this day, if I simply take a day of rest and just stop, I will beat myself up with guilt as if I have not accomplished enough, done enough to deserve a break. It is exhausting. I absorbed in my childhood the lie that my worth is dependent upon how much I accomplish. And it's quite a war to put that out of my head. And I add that to all the other fears that I have. We all have the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of saying the wrong thing, the fear of wearing the wrong clothes, taking, talking to the wrong sort of people, the fear of reproach, the fear of being mocked, the fear of being beaten and ashamed of not hating the people we're supposed to hate. And pretty soon you're so afraid of the world that you simply hunker down and learn the right phrases, wear the right sort of clothes, read the right sort of books, and watch the right sort of TV shows, and live half a life. Never making waves, never affecting anyone, never being yourself, but simply being someone else. We become too fearful to live, too ashamed to make a splash, too afraid to be who we are. And we become afraid, so we just try to fit in. We try to fade into the background, not make a fuss. And so we adopt the acceptable opinions and have the acceptable passions and go with the acceptable crowds, hoping that God might accept you if we just figure out how to fit in. The heart of this is the belief that God is a harsh taskmaster. And he somehow made me wrong. 
that he's just waiting for me to step out of line. He's waiting for me to stumble and fall so he can cast me out and put me to shame. So what I actually ended up doing was burying everything about who I am, wrapping it up in a napkin and hiding it in the ground. And when we do that, the enemy has won a victory. For he is a liar and a murderer, and he wants you dead and buried. And any way he can accomplish that, he will do. My beloved congregation, this isn't who you are. The scripture unanimously speaks. You are redeemed, body and soul, to belong to Jesus Christ. He not only made you as you are, he's redeemed you. He set you free from the bondage of sin and shame and guilt. He's taken away your sin. And now you, glorious, magnificent, beautiful you, can shine. This is the mina that God has given to all of his people. This is the talent. This is the tremendous gift that he has given you. He has given you, you, your body, your soul, your mind, your experiences, everything that makes you, you, not to serve sin, but to serve Jesus. When I saw this, I saw Romans 12 in a new light. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In order for a sacrifice to be acceptable to God, it must be without spot and without blemish. God does not accept a blemished sacrifice. So when Paul is telling us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, he is saying that God views our redeemed bodies as beautiful, without blemish, an acceptable sacrifice to him. A living sacrifice. It's the enemy who works overtime to convince us that we have too many spots and too many blemishes to be acceptable to God. That isn't what the scripture says. Paul in the first 11 chapters of Romans showed us how God has redeemed us in Christ, has justified us by faith, presented us holy and without blemish as a bride to the groom, covered us with the righteousness of God, received by faith in Christ alone. And so now the testimony of scripture is that we are accepted, loved, cherished in him. He is the head and we are the members of his body, all of us different all of us with our respective gifts, all of us redeemed and beautiful and holy before him. And so Paul says in Romans 12, now live like it. Present your bodies as they are, living, holy, and acceptable to God because they are beautifully and wonderfully made and fit for service. So no longer allow the voice of the enemy to convince you that God is a harsh taskmaster waiting for you to fail. No longer allow the enemy to convince you that you are worthless, a dangling spider held over the pit of hell, because you are a child of God, an heir of the promise, redeemed and clothed in exquisite finery and jewels, the perfect beauty of Christ. And so the scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Instead of hiding behind bluster and pride and power and money and the bottles and trinkets of this world, be who you are, redeemed and loved. Instead of being enslaved to sin and guilt and shame like everyone else, be free to love and to shine. Take the risks to speak what is on your mind to speak. To wear what is on your mind to wear. To live as you please. To love even your weird neighbors. To create and sing and dance before the Lord. Free from the fear of men. Because the king is conquered. If you think that this means to live in sin, then you don't understand it yet. We know that Jesus Christ governs his people, each one of us, by his word and spirit, not by fear and shame. Do you not have the Holy Spirit within you? Ask yourself, when I say live as you please, what do you want to do? If you want to live like the enemies of the king, Jesus is going to come in judgment. If you refuse to have him rule over you, you will reap the consequences. For he is coming in judgment for all the rebellious oppressors, the thieves and the murderers and the liars and the rapists. But this isn't you. You are free. You're redeemed. You are members of Christ and partakers of his anointing. So no longer let anyone put you in the bondage of fear. And quit listening to the endless voices that tell you that you aren't doing it right. That you don't dress right, you don't act like right, you don't wear your hair right, you don't raise your kids right, you don't vote right, you don't read the right books, you don't listen to the right music. When you do that, you've taken the glorious treasure of the beautiful you that God has given you and redeemed you, and you've wrapped it up in a handkerchief and buried it in the ground, too afraid of the opinions of men and not seeing the goodness of the God who made you and redeemed you and called you his own. And far too often we hide who we are behind drugs and alcohol and pride and narcissism and hatred and anger and bluster and boasting and work and playing happy families. All of it's a form of death. The world is calling you to conform to this form of death, to hate the ones you're supposed to hate and fear the ones you're supposed to fear and follow the ones you're supposed to follow and smile when you're supposed to smile. And the heart of it is that God's a harsh taskmaster, waiting for you to fail so he can mock you like everyone else. But Christ calls you to live. Back to our parable, Jesus alludes to an event that everyone was familiar with in this day. When Herod the Great died, his son Archelaus assumed the kingdom. But no king in that day was official until they were crowned by the Caesar of Rome. And so Archelaus made the long trip to Rome to be crowned king by Caesar Augustus. His cruelty was hated and feared in Jerusalem. So a delegation of many of the rulers in Judea also went to Rome to try to convince Caesar to not crown him king. They were partially successful. Caesar did allow him to rule, but only with the title of ethnarch rather than the title of king, and he only reigned over a third of Herod's kingdom, which is why when Joseph and Mary came back from Egypt, they went up to Galilee to escape the influence of Archelaus. 
Archelaus was only the king over Judea. Eventually, Archelaus was too much even for Rome, and he was removed as incompetent and cruel, and Pontius Pilate was made the governor. That's the history that's being alluded to. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. From there, he will be crucified. He will rise from the dead. He will ascend into heaven, and all will be to gain a kingdom. He's going away to receive a kingdom for himself. The ruler of this world is the enemy, Satan himself. As I've said, he governs with fear and shame and guilt. His reign is harsh. Pharaohs and emperors and Nebuchadnezzars and Belshazzars all rule with absolute terror. The state was God and everything served the state. Satan rules with tyranny. You aren't good enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't beautiful enough. You aren't enough. God hates you. Everybody hates you. You're ugly. You're fat. You're stupid. You're ridiculous. You don't matter. Your words don't matter. Your loves and your hates don't matter. Your joys and your sorrows don't matter. You're loathsome. Your only task is to walk in lockstep and hope that no one notices you. How did Jesus conquer this kingdom? On the cross. The guilt of sin and shame was taken away. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and as committed to the ministry, the word of reconciliation, Paul says. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5. This is the word that the apostles proclaimed to the world. The king has conquered and has ascended. He will come again to claim his kingdom. He will come to judge the living and the dead. The day when his kingdom will be revealed, the curtain will be pulled back and the last enemy will be destroyed. And so until he returns, he calls his servants, his people, to use what he has given us productively. That is, be who you are. God created you and redeemed you and called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Psalm 139, David says, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Sin like a cancer has polluted this wonderful body. But hear me on this, sin is not the essence of who you are. The day will come when sin will be completely removed and we will stand before God whole and complete and human, but without sin. This is the humanity that Jesus came to redeem. He came to make us who we are. So Paul tells us to put on that new man that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Remembering that if we sin, we have an advocate We confess the sin and remember the work of Christ again. But we don't ever allow sin and shame and fear to keep us from serving God without fear. You've been redeemed, so your voice matters. Your personhood matters. Your personality and your beauty matter. Your body matters, for God made it. 
your hands to do good works, your feet to run the race and to dance with joy, your lips to sing praise and words of comfort to the afflicted. And every member is different and every body part is different and God placed us in the body and gave us our gifts on purpose. He set us free on the cross to serve him without fear. The problem is that we let the voice of the evil one determine who we are. And far too often the modern church in America proclaims conformity rather than redemption. We fear the others, that they will somehow keep God from blessing us. So we learn, like everyone else, to loathe and fear them. And preachers stand in pulpits and do not proclaim the kingdom of Christ. They proclaim conformity to the world. Live in fear of others. Live in fear of the devil. Live in fear of shame and guilt. Work harder. Do more. Conform to the proper ones. Hate the ones you're supposed to hate. Or we will cover you with shame and contempt and cast you out. And millions of people build pyramids for Pharaoh thinking they're doing God's service. But instead of fearing the voice of the condemners, Christ is calling us to live. And he says in this parable that living is risky. It's like investing your money. You might lose everything. What if I act like myself and I'm rejected? What if I fail? What if I go bankrupt? So sometimes it seems so much easier to listen to the voice of the world Here's what kind of a wife you're supposed to be. Here's what kind of a mother you're supposed to be. What kind of a husband, what kind of a father, what kind of a Christian, what kind of a worker. And you can find a book on how to honor Christ in your job and in your marriage and in your motherhood and in your fatherhood and and lists and lists and lists and lists of rules teaching us how to conform to the world. But remember what Jesus is going to Jerusalem to do. He's going to conquer sin and guilt and shame forever so you can't go bankrupt. You can't fail. You can't be separated from his love. He has already accomplished everything. We now have peace with God. There is no more condemnation, so we are free to serve him. For he's won the victory, so serve him without fear. Only you walk the path that, you have, that he has placed you on. No one else. You have the experiences you have and no one else. You have your gifts and your perspectives and your contexts and your stories and God has given them to you. So don't bury them. Don't hide them. Use them to serve the Lord without fear. There are those who refuse to bend the knee, who refuse to be ruled by him. They use guilt and shame to build kingdoms for themselves. They insist that everyone be conformed to their image. When Jesus returns, he'll set that right. So don't fear them. And certainly don't allow them to bury who you are in a handkerchief. Because the darker the world gets, the more it needs your light. God has placed you in the body on purpose. Jesus is now in heaven, but he is present with each one of us, dwelling in us by his word and spirit. That means his light is shining in us. His beauty and his love and his grace and his peace, as long as we don't cover it over with a bushel. Let that light shine. Don't hate because you think you're supposed to. Don't be contemptuous because you think you're supposed to be. Don't sneer because all the cool people are sneering.
Let your light shine. Very countercultural statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Not grape juice, wine. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity. For that is your portion in this life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. That's life. We can learn to live it with joy as long as we quit taking ourselves so seriously and be who God created us to be. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the redemption that we have in Christ and the freedom we have in him. Teach us to serve you without fear with all the gifts and abilities that you have given each one of us. We pray that you would bless your congregation, that you would bless your church, and that you would shine your light to a dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen.